0: Welcome to everybody in the room, and welcome to those in our church family that are joining us online here as well. And um, just real quick, on that video you just watched, and I know it's lots of announcements today, uh, but we have a uh, community-wide multi-church event coming up that's going to reach out to those in need in our community and that's going to be on October 2nd. We're telling you about it a little early because there's a bunch of different volunteer positions uh, that we need and so out there on the spotlight counter right out those double doors there's a sign up sheet and we would love on your way out if if you have a heart to help. Our church took on the project of overseeing uh, the kids outreach arena and so we need people to oversee things like Facebook and balloons and a whole bunch of different things like that. And so um, if that's you, uh, we would love to have you get involved. And then as we get a little bit closer, we're going to be telling you more about it and trying to uh, get more of you to volunteer and serve at this great event. Now, um, speaking of Convoy of Hope, actually, if you don't know who they are, they are a uh, one of the, in my opinion, one of the best charities uh, that's working in relief and development around the world. And so this week, we're going to be sending some funds their way to help with the uh, the earthquake in Haiti. And I actually just wanted to pause. My heart's a little heavy uh, just with everything going on in the world and locally in our nation right now. Um, and so I just wanted to take a moment and pause and pray over Haiti and Afghanistan And so if you would, just just join me. If you don't know the situation in Afghanistan, um, catch up on the news. Uh, But what you may not be seeing in the news is Christian missionaries and lots of brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, their lives are in grave peril right now. And so we want to come together as a church and do really the one thing we can do right now, which is is pray for them. So would you just join me? Lord, we come before you, and we think about... um, Lord, we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ right now in Afghanistan. Lord, we think about those that are suffering in Haiti. We ask your protection. We ask uh, your comfort over them. Lord, for those in Afghanistan right now, I just ask that you would just supernaturally protect them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would give them the strength to to stay faithful to you in spite of the circumstances they're in. Um, And in the midst of that, uh, that you would just put supernatural protection around them. We pray for miracles, Lord. Lord, we pray for miracles of turning the hearts of the Taliban, uh, that you would turn hearts toward you, that you would appear in dreams and visions and draw hearts to you, Jesus. We just ask that you would do what we can't do, which is intervene in this situation, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, um, two other real quick house. Uh, cleaning things before we continue on. First thing is if this is your home church, we would love to have some of you come on out on Saturdays so that we can continue to make more room here Sundays for all the new people and people connecting to Jesus uh, and so that you help us avoid having to go to three services for as long as we can. And so uh, Saturday night, six o'clock identical service and we would love to have some of you come out, give it a try, see if it's a good fit for your family. And then also I announced uh, a couple weeks, and if you're wondering why do we announce these things for a couple weeks in a row, it's because it takes several weeks to connect with all of you. Um, so I announced, I, I've launched a blog to, to uh, deal with some of the um, cultural issues and sometimes where uh, the gospel intersects with the cultural issues and sometimes just my thoughts and, and opinions. And so if you're interested in getting that and you're not on that list, just write Tim's list. And there's some things really on my heart right now with freedom around healthcare choices and things that are swirling all around locally and nationally. And so if you're not on that list and you want to receive that, um, just write Tim's list, blue card, or on the contact list, and we'll make sure you get that. Okay, let's get to what we're talking about today. So we, are, we just launched a new series called Family, Friends, and Enemies, And we know sometimes that family can be any of those, right? That's what we know about family. And so a few weeks from now, we're launching a series. We're going to be preaching verse by verse through the book of John, and I'm super excited about that. But I wanted to pause and have this conversation because I think it's something that's applicable to every one of us in the room. And here's just let me make an observation about family. One thing that we all have in common, if you're part of a family, whether you're, you know, grown up, moved out, um, going to college, or whether you're, you know, um, empty nesters or whatever. But if you're part of a family, one thing we all have in common is conflict, right? Whenever you find a family, you will find some level of conflict, and here's just an interesting observation that maybe you never thought of before, because there's lots of areas where you can try hard and win in life, right? Like on the soccer field, you can go for it, you can win, and when you win, you win, and it feels good, right? Um, maybe you've had an argument or you've taken a, a, you know, a um, case to small claims court or something, and you won, and it felt good. You won. You walked away, and you won. Well, in the context of family, you can win an argument and not win anything. Has anybody experienced that? You won the argument, but you didn't win anything. In fact, when you look back, um, there's just now pain and broken relationships. And an interesting thing about conflict in the, in the context of family is that we all handle conflict a little bit differently. Have you noticed that? Yeah. We have uh, people that are, I, I call them the avoiders. These are people that just hate any sort of conflict and love peace so much that, that they just you can't get them to argue with you because it's just like, oh, okay, it's okay, you're, you're right. And you know it's not okay, but you just can't get anybody um, to argue. You, you know you know they're not okay. You just can't get them to actually engage in the conflict, right? And then you have um, people, I call them the ors Anybody remember Winnie the Pooh, or. And, like, you can get in a conflict and they just are so down for like a week after that. It takes some days, sort of, to recover from the conflict, right? And then you have the pretenders. And these are people who just stuff it down and you'll be like, what's wrong? And they're like, it's fine. You're like, really? Fine. You're like, I don't think so, right? You're just waiting for it to kind of overflow. And then you have the lawyers. And the lawyers, and this is me, I gotta admit. Anybody else in the room? My my parents told me when I was growing up, they're like, "You should be a lawyer, because you are really good at arguing." And if your if your method of conflict is you just like you know you have your bullet points and your arguments and you win every argument you get involved in, you know if that's you, you're the lawyer. Um, you you that's the way you do conflict, right? And nobody wants to argue with you because you you know you always win the argument in your mind at least, right? But you get done. And have you convinced anyone in your family? No, right? So then you have the, uh, the Exploders. And, like, especially um, there's different, it's interesting. I've done missions work all over the world, and there's different, like, cultures. And you have the hot climate cultures, like, you know, Central America and d- different places where emotions tend to run a lot more high, right? And some of you, that's the family you grew, in, you, you grew up in. Emotions ran high, and there was conflict, and everybody's just, like, going at it and raising their voices and yelling. And then um, as soon as it's done, everybody's fine. The Exploders. And and what's funny um, is probably if that's you, you probably married someone if you're married uh, that's not that, right? One of these others. And the first time you got in an argument, like, you just freaked them out. They're like, whoa, whoa, calm down, right? Because people handle conflict so differently. You know, we all have different responses to conflict. But we all struggle with conflict. We all deal with conflict at some level. If you're part of a family, or if you're in a house with roommates, we all deal with this. But at the root of it, I think there's, there's really one source, one primary source of conflict in our homes. And today we're going to look at that. We're going to sort of pry open Pandora's box, and we're going to look at that source of conflict. And I think if we can acknowledge it, we can begin to make some progress when it comes to resolving conflict in our families. And I think if everyone in our families could let this sink into their hearts and minds, man, it would would bring us so far in having peace and joy and just bringing the tone of the conflict down in our homes. I think it's really a powerful concept. And to help us understand this concept, actually, uh, we're going to take a look at something that James, the brother of Jesus, wrote. And he's going to help us actually pinpoint this source of conflict. And if you think about it, I think James, the brother of Jesus, probably had a really interesting perspective on family, right? Now, I mean, some of you, you grew up and your, your parents compared you to your other sibling, the good one. Can you imagine if your older brother was Jesus? I mean, you just—I just, you know, play out the scene in my mind. You know, Mary and Joseph and and the other the other siblings. You know, and they're like, "Why can't you be more like your older brother?" And you're like, "Cause he's Jesus." It just isn't fair, right? And so I think James actually um, probably has a real interesting perspective on this. And here's how James actually introduces this question about conflict. He introduces a big question. I think it's a question we should consider. James chapter 4, verse 1. He says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes fights and quarrels among you? And we could just break up right now into, you know, groups and discuss this with our our families, our husbands and wives and uh, roommates, but we were not going to do that because if we did that, Fights and quarrels would break out everywhere out here. Because our tendency when it comes to this question is we're like, well, I know, right? Our tendency is to move immediately into blame. When my kids were little, uh, my daughter was two and my son was, was four. Um, she discovered how easy it was because he was always the one getting into trouble, right? So she discovered how easy it was to get her brother into trouble, and so she would do something, and um, we'd, we'd, like, say Sarah, and she'd, and she'd say, Bubba did it. Bubba did it. And then she started blaming me. Daddy did it. <laughs> and that, too, it was actually really, really cute, right? But we did, so there's something in all of us that tends to move to blame. And I think one of the reasons, actually, why we, we have so much trouble resolving relational problems in the context of family is we don't know why we fight and quarrel to begin with. And some of you are like, oh, no, no, I know exactly why we fight and quarrel. You know, he just doesn't listen. Or my parents are always in my face about this, right? Or my roommate is just so messy. I had, I lived in Southern California in my 20s, and I rented this, like, room um from this older gentleman single gentleman and uh he lived in the garage and then he rented out the other three two three rooms I had the master bedroom and there were six other guys all single guys or you know guys that had you know moved up here from other countries and stuff six other guys in this house talk about messy roommates it was like i would walk in and just sort of quarantine myself in that back room you know just like eh. I'm a little germaphobic, so. Anyway, some of you are like, I know, it's my roommate, right? Or have you seen my neighbor's yard? You want to know why there's conflict? Or have you met my kids? Or um, she just spends all the money. No elbowing in here. Or for me, you know, she agreed it was an outdoor cat. <laughs> we blame, don't we? We just naturally go to blame. Do you know how many problems in a family have been solved by placing blame? None, right? Have you ever had a conflict where you, where you pointed the finger, got all heated, told someone how wrong they were, and they're like, oh, thank you so much for blaming me. I'm, it's all better now, right? No. It just doesn't happen, does it? And see, so many times we tie our happiness to other people's actions. And we blame other people for our unhappiness in our relationships. And you know something that, that is true, that it, is that if you continue to blame others for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. Like, if you think about the unhappiness and the, just that thing that keeps rising up in your heart, if your happiness is placed in the hands of another person and you blame them for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. Blaming doesn't work. Blaming is really actually, you know, placing your happiness, your joy in someone else's hands. And you don't want to live like that. We want to experience the joy, the peace, the happiness that Jesus would have for us and our families. And so I think as we look at this, um, we, we should actually take this ser- question seriously. What, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And I think learning not to play the game of just blaming others is a big part of what James would teach us today. And as he goes on, here's how he answers the question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And if you're like, man, there's a million different things, James would say, okay, but you're missing the source. You're missing the source. You don't understand the source. That's why you're not making any progress in your relationships. He says this, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? James would say, ultimately... I've got news for you. The source of your conflict, the issue is actually inside of you. The issue is inside of me. You have a desire. You have something you really want. And every conflict with every person you've ever been in conflict with, and especially with family, there's a desire in you that is sort of um, overflowing out of you on everyone around you. But ultimately, the source is something within you. There's something you want. James 4.2, it says, You desire, but you do not have. You, there's something you, you yearn for or long for, and it goes unfulfilled. And every time there's a conflict, there's something at the root of it that you want, but you're not getting. He says, so you kill. Now, remember, he's writing here, to a whole bunch of church people. He's not writing to a bunch of people, you know, inmates in jail for murder. So this is hyperbole. But he says, there, there, there might be something you want so bad that you are willing to kill a relationship for it. Isn't it interesting that some of the people we, we hurt the most are the ones that are closest to us? Why is that? It's because they're closest to us, right? Your mom or your ex-spouse, the person maybe you, you pledged your life to. And, and there's this thing that because we don't get what we want out of a relationship or in a relationship, we tend to do things and say things that actually kill that relationship. Have you noticed how your words can actually just shred somebody's self-worth? How you can hurt someone so deeply that something, it's like something dies inside? No matter what you do or say later, you can't remove what you said? We've all had that experience, haven't we? Of saying something, these words coming out of our mouth. And it's like you just sort of can almost see them come out of your mouth. And you're like trying to catch them and put them back in. But you can't. And some of you have relationships that are either damaged or destroyed in your life because of the things that came out of your mouth in a conflict. I have a relationship with an extended family member where I I let loose and said some things that were on my mind, and it damaged that relationship. And it's still not fixed. And some of you have that. Some of you are dealing with that right now. Some of you have killed or almost killed a relationship because you did not get what you wanted. You tried to criticize them into submission, into doing what you wanted, right? You tried to shame them into doing what you wanted. You belittled them. You did this because there was something that they would not or possibly could not give you. If you're a parent in here, I think this is such a powerful lesson to remember, and uh, I heard this years ago and, and, and it's stuck with me ever since. Um, a famous author and, and, and speaker, he talks about when they're raising their kids, they, they always made it the goal to discipline with the goal of building the relationship, to discipline with the goal of what do you want? What's the goal you want to come up with or the goal you want to achieve with your kids. And they said, our goal is that when our kids are, are all grown and out of the house, when they're in their 20s, we want them to actually like to come home and spend time with us. That's the goal. And so the way we discipline, because you got to discipline, right? Go read Proverbs. You don't discipline. That doesn't end well. you got to discipline. And I know this is so hard to keep in mind, especially if you have young kids, because it's just constant correction, right? Um, during this stage of your lives, you're like a cop, <laughs> and all you're doing is trying to correct this little felon down here, right? And then as the relationship grows and they, you know, move into adolescent and teen years, you become more of a coach, and then you become more of a mentor as they continue to grow. But it's so hard to remember in those heated moments when it feels like you're always having to correct. You're always having to correct behavior because it needs correcting. But I think it's such a powerful concept and it comes back and it reminds me and I'm like, oh, I got to remember that. Parent with the goal in mind. What's your goal? And I think that goal is relationship. That relationship, like you want to have a good relationship with your kids for, you know, 40, 50, 60 years. After they're out of the house, right? That's your heart. It's something I think we need to, as parents, we need to constantly remind ourselves of. He goes on, he says this, you covet. And this is the idea of being just so intensely focused on something you want. Not just like wanting something, but it's an ungodly wanting something. It's one of the Ten Commandments, coveting, right? Uh, You covet But you cannot get what you want, and so you quarrel and fight. And all of a sudden, it's like we're right back where we started, right? Quarreling and fighting. Why? Because there's something that I want so bad that I think I need for myself to be satisfied. Do you know that self is never satisfied? Self has an unquenchable thirst. There's not enough stuff. There's not enough, you know, relationships. There's not enough intimacy. There's there's not enough whatever you want to, like, put a label on to say, like, I'm done. If you stake your happiness and your joy on if I just get to there, if I just get that, if I just get him, if I just get her, if I could just fix him, if you stake your joy, your fulfillment, your happiness on that, you never get there. It's only when you, you know, you know, self's natural tendency is to try to just squeeze our happiness out of the people closest to us. And think if I can just, you know, squeeze my happiness out of my wife and kids, I'll get there. But you know what happens is you end up killing the relationship, don't you? You end up damaging the relationship. And at the very root of that problem is the fact that we have to come to grips with something. And that's the fact that in every conflict, every time we're tempted to try to squeeze our joy, our happiness out of someone close to us, there's something that we want and we're not getting. And so today I just want to give you three little helpful tools For when you find yourself in the middle of conflict, when it starts to get heated, when you're tempted to storm into that room or fire off that quick response, when you find yourself tempted to try to squeeze your happiness or joy out of somebody else in your life. And the first little tool is this, pause. I want you to pause. So in the middle of a fight, in the middle of an argument, as it's just kind of ramping up, if you would just pause for a moment and and realize something, and and maybe even say this out loud to the other person. In fact, we're going to practice this once. That at the heart of it, if you would pause and realize at the heart of it, there's something I want and I'm not getting it, and that's what's causing this conflict. Just that realization, I think, will do really good things in those relationships. I think it'll, it'll begin to take the tone down a little bit. It'll help you actually look at it from a more rational perspective, right? And so we're going to try this, and I want you to repeat this after me. Um, I know what the problem is. I'm not getting what I want. Would you try that once? I know what the problem is. I'm not getting what I want. Now, you don't seem very convinced of this, right? So take your finger out. I want you to point it at yourself, okay? Okay. Be a little bit emphatic here. And so just imagine it's starting to get heated. You're starting to, you know, the emotions are amping up. If you could just pause, and let's try this one more time. Everybody with me? Okay, one, two, three. I know what the problem is. I'm not getting what I want. That wasn't so hard, was it? See, guys, if some of you, like, we have a whole bunch of ladies up at ladies' camp this weekend. So if you start doing this this week, you're going you're gonna to score major points. <laughs> like, it'll take them a while to come back and catch up on the message and all that. So you just start implementing this, and um, I'm just telling you, it'll go well for you. Okay. I'm not getting what I want. I mean, just that pause to, to stop in the middle of a conflict and realize, okay, there's a reason why I feel so, um, like, tense, so angry, so amped up about this. There's something I want, and I'm not getting it. And I think if you can just pause and realize that, you can begin to look at your problem objectively. You can begin to ask, is what I want even something that this other person can do? You know, a great piece of advice in conflict is never bring up or criticize something that someone else can't change. It just that that kills relationships. Is this thing that I'm so amped up about even something that this other person can do anything about? Is this this just me wanting my kid to get there and have that level of success? Is this really about them or is this really more about me? Is this more about what I want to be viewed at and the kind of family I want to be seen at having? it is just help you if you can pause and begin to realize in this conflict okay um, there's there's something under this there's something I want here that's why I'm getting so amped up about it and sometimes actually the thing you want is actually what you need you know to address there's there's a real problem there but the tone and the way you go about it will make a world of difference in your relationships and if you realize actually the source of the conflict isn't just blaming them but it's the conflict is here because this is what I want, and I'm not getting it. That'll help you begin to really process and go through um, what you're feeling and what you're experiencing in the middle of conflict. So let's try that one more time. I know what the problem is. I'm not getting what I want. Ready? I know what the problem is. I'm not getting what I want. So remember that. You're going to pause in the midst of a conflict, and you're gonna remember that, that that at the heart of the issue there's something you want, and you're not getting it. Okay, number two is this: own it. Own it. See, here's what I know about you, and here's what you admit in your calm, rational moments: that at any point in any conflict that you're experiencing, you own a little bit of that, don't you? If you're honest there's a piece of that that you own. Um, Jason, one of our other pastors, gave me uh, a premarital book he's been going through uh, with some folks at church, and there was a great illustration that, um, that, that was in there. Has anybody seen the show Hoarders? Yeah, it makes my skin crawl just thinking about it, right? Where just there's like the whole house just starts stacking up with all this junk and pretty soon there's just little pathways around. And relationships can get like that sometimes because there's so much junk that hasn't been dealt with. You know what the first step is to begin the process of fixing that, the the process of making progress in a relationship is to own your own junk. You got to own it. Even sometimes there's an issue in the family that you're like, that's really not my issue. But if you look down at the root of it, especially if you're a parent, there's some junk that you own in that situation. I like this quote. Um, anybody heard of Jocko Willink? He was a Navy SEAL commander. He wrote this book called Extreme Ownership, How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win. I mean, this guy, like, you listen to him, you're like, whoa. I don't want to meet him in a dark alley, Right? But here's what he said about extreme ownership. He says, leaders must own everything in their world. There's no one else to blame. And it's a, it's a frame of mind where you're like, oh, actually, this happened on my watch. I'm going to own it. That if there's a breakdown in the family, probably I own a piece of that. There's probably an area I'm neglecting. There's probably an area I haven't, um, you know, gotten involved with or I've been too harsh in or I haven't addressed or I just let it slide and didn't, you know, didn't have the courage or the energy to deal with it. He goes on to say this. Implementing extreme ownership requires checking your ego and operating with a high degree of humility. Admitting mistakes, taking ownership, and developing a plan to overcome challenges are integral to any successful team. And I would say any successful household, too. Own it. Own it. Let me... uh, Illustrate it this way. I heard this illustration um, from another pastor years ago, and it's just stuck with me because it's it's uh, so. Uh, I think it, it illustrates this point so well. So, fall is coming, right? The last few days felt a little bit like fall. Is that exciting, anybody else? Yeah, I love fall. How many of you are getting ready for pumpkin spice? Like you're the f- on it when it first comes out. Yeah, I like pumpkin pie. And that's coming up too, right? And so imagine in your head the most perfect pumpkin pie, just beautiful pumpkin pie, right? And let's just imagine that that pumpkin pie represents 100% of whatever conflict that you're in. Now, in your mind, I want you to slice what your piece of that pie is. Be honest. And some of you are like, honest, and you're like, ah, oh, I've got a pretty good, it's like half the pie. It's the size... Piece of pumpkin pie I like, too. I don't you know, probably, this is my slice. And others, of you're like, no, my slice is itty bitty little. Okay, I'll give you that. Maybe it is. In fact, uh, this pastor that you would use this illustration, I thought it was so cool, because he said he would use it in marriage counseling. He'd draw a circle on a piece of paper, and he's like, here's the pie, 100% of your conflict. Now, draw your slice of the pie in this conflict. And he says he couldn't get anybody to do it. You know why? Because once you have a slice of the pie, you own part of the problem, don't you? You have to admit that I have a role in this. And as soon as you begin to admit that I have a role in this, your focus will shift from just blaming the other person and pointing at their slice to going, well, maybe I should um, do something about my slice, let me just illustrate this personally in my personal conflict in my household. So my slice of the pie, I'm like, you know what? A couple of years ago, I tried this outdoor cat thing before, and it didn't work. And yet this time, I believed all the promises from my children. I own that. I own that cat now. So what's your slice of the pie, right? Maybe it's a little slice. Maybe it's a big slice. This is hard for us to do because we lose some of the energy behind the conflict, right? We lose the edge that we feel like we have in the conflict. And James, I think, would say, yes, if everyone in the family would own their own slice would own their peace um, of the problem, of the conflict. Yes, everyone would lose a little bit of their edge. And guess what? You wouldn't end up having so much heat in the conflicts that you have. It would bring the level of conflict down in your home. And let me just say this about our slice, is we always tend to underestimate our own the size of our own slice, right? Don't we? Let me illustrate it this way. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. And I think it's such a good thing to remember in conflict in the context of family. Here's, here's what he said. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? And see, I think Jesus would speak to the tendency that most of us have in conflict and, and when it comes to judging others and their actions and their behaviors and placing blame and all these things and going like, ah, all I've got is a tiny little speck. And Jesus would go, yeah, I think it might be a little bigger than you thought, right? I think it might be a little bigger. And the fact that you are so focused on the other person's problems while you actually haven't spent any time focusing on your own um, is actually kind of ridiculous. To illustrate this, I want to just illustrate this. And I do this every time I I read this passage because I think the picture is worth a thousand words. um, To show you how ridiculous this is. And I think maybe Jesus did this when he taught it actually in a parable. It it would be like this. Um, Hey. Hey, I I think you got something in your eye there. Can can you just come here and let me deal with that, right? No, seriously, like come here, come here. And you're like, get away from me, you freak, right? <laughs> and Jesus would say, that's the point. I think I got some of you in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> that's the point. We always tend to underestimate our own slice. We see our slice as a speck, and Jesus would go, I think there's probably a log somewhere there. There's a plank there. Have you looked at that? Have you addressed that? Have you dealt with that? Have you humbled yourself to admit your own wrongdoing? Jesus forgave you of so much. Are, are you willing to forgive? Because part of it is when you begin to realize how much you've been forgiven of. And what you saw as a little itty-bitty thing was actually an incredibly large amount of sin that separated you from a holy and perfect God, and yet he gave his life for you he forgave you. he welcomed you into his family. he did not condemn you. he had grace for you. I think it's a powerful, powerful thing. And if you're pushing back right now you're like yeah, yeah but 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 my, my husband you know he vowed uh, my roommate she just she swore she would do this you know my kid said trust me I'll, I'll turn out the light. The problem is I'm not getting what I deserve, you know, what's due me, what was promised to me, what was fair. That's our natural tendency to, to push back on this, right? To begin to place blame immediately. And some of those things are very legitimate things that need to be dealt with, right? But when you start there... When you start there, it does not set you up for peace and joy and happiness in your home. And so I think one of the, one of the biggest things you can do is to own it. Say, okay, own it. A mm, little piece of that pie might be mine. Maybe I should deal with that. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's a plank I need to spend some attention removing. Third thing is this, take it to God. James goes on in this passage, he says this, you do not have because you do not ask God. And I find this so ironic, because I do this and I bet you do this too, that followers of Jesus need to be reminded that in the midst of your relationships and conflicts, you need to actually pray about them and take them to God. Anybody else you need to be reminded? Yeah. Because our natural tendency is just to amp up and engage, and and James would go, whoa, 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 whoa. See, the problem is you have not taken these desires in your heart, the thing that's causing this whole issue to God, even to begin with. And so before you go, you know, storming down the hallway. running into their room, you know, firing off that Facebook response before you get all amped up? Before you let those words come out of your mouth, you wish you could grab and put back in your mouth? Have you actually even spent any time praying about this? Have you spent any time? Have you spent any time getting to the root of, God, what is it that I really want? Why am I so frustrated and angry and upset and hurt? God, I really want a happy marriage, um, but I realize I'm trying to squeeze it out of my husband or wife. Or I really want my kids to be, and I think that's a good thing. I really want my kids to be, but I'm, am I trying to to force them into something I I cannot, you know, do? I cannot get them to to go there. Is that am I trying to get them somewhere where it's not even in them? It's not who you created them to be, God. Or I, I really want my wife to be. Um, this way and and honestly when when I uh you know when I say it I say it's for your good you know for your health or whatever but when it comes right down to it this is just what I want and I need to deal with that I need to recognize that that he isn't that or she isn't that and she may never be you want your parents to be something to act in a way and they just aren't Have you actually paused to ask God to help you get to the bottom of the thing that's in your heart that's causing you to lash out in conflict? Have you ever really poured your heart out to your your Father who's in heaven? Not just like, you know, a quick prayer, God, please deal with this, but really like, God, let's spend some time in prayer wrestling with this. God, would you show me my heart? Would you actually bring your issues to God with the same emotion that you conflict with those that you're in conflict with. To actually pray earnestly about something. To actually pour your heart out to God. Because he cares for you. He cares for you. You know, praying is better than nagging every time. I mean, there's sometimes, there's things that we just, you know, we want to get our spouse to get to, and then we just poke and prod and poke and prod. Have you actually spent any time praying about those things? Saying, God, I can't change their heart, but I'm, I'm praying to a God who can change hearts. It's an important thing to Remember? He goes on, he says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And in the Greek, it's literally this idea of using up or wearing something out to fulfill your own desires. See, sometimes what you get when you go to God in prayer over your conflict and frustrations is that God actually reveals what's in your heart. And what you end up in is in a place of surrender. See, when we pray about things, God sometimes answers yes. He sometimes answers no. He sometimes answers not yet. Keep praying about it until we're very sure we have a clear answer. And sometimes we're praying about something that really depends on someone else, right? Romans 12, Paul says, hey, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So what is that? You own your slice, right? As far as it depends on you. God, I'm going to pray for this conflict. I'm going to take the steps you lead me to take. I'm going to try to take the heat and the emotion out of this thing and get to the bottom of it. But ultimately, it's you moving on other people's hearts. Take it to God. I'm going to invite Winston up. We're going to close in the song here. As he comes up, let me ask you this about that conflict. If, if they never change, if, if they never become who you want them to be, can you still find your contentment and your peace and your happiness in your Heavenly Father? Can you still be anchored and rooted in the joy of your salvation? As long as you try to squeeze your happiness out of your family member, you're just never going to get there, and you're just going to leave a trail of conflict and pain. I think a great question to ask yourself is, is there anyone in my life in my close relationships that are actually hurting, they're suffering because I'm not getting my way? It's a very good question to ask and take to God. And yeah, there's times to deal with it. You got to deal with it, right? Work through the conflict, absolutely. But first, take it to your Heavenly Father. And then, after you've surrendered the situation to your Father, I think the tone, of the conflict, and the conversation will be very different. So first, we pause. Remember, why am I angry? Why am I getting so amped up? Oh, yeah, there's something I want, and I'm not getting it. I know what the problem is. I'm not getting what I want. It'll help us quit blaming others for our unhappiness and our discontentment. Second, you're going to own it. What's my slice of the pie? Like, what do I own in this situation? What's the plank that Jesus is asking me to remove? God, what would you pinpoint in me that you want to do in me so that you can move through me? And three, you're going to take it to God. You're going to surrender yourself to the one who knows what's best for us, who loves us, who knows us better than anyone else. And say, God, have your way. Do in me what you need to do in me first. I'm going to find my peace and my contentment and my happiness in you. I'm going to give you my heart, my heartache, my worries, my fears. I'm going to give it to you. Would you stand? We're going to sing this little song. And as we do, I just encourage you, if there's an issue right now that all this brings up, all kinds of emotion, why don't you just pray? Why don't you give that to God as we sing? You can stand, you can sit, you can do whatever you need to do. Do business with God. I'll come back up and pray for you. Lord, I just pray over each relationship in this room right now, Lord, over those that are having experiencing such uh, conflict in their hearts. Just ask that you would just allow them Lord, to to pause, to own it, and then just to take it to you. And that that would begin to change the tone in those relationships. I pray this morning there would be relationships that are set on a new course, Lord. Lord, we love you. We lift your name up. We thank you for the cross. Thank you for your salvation that's available to each and every one of us. We love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.